Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Thursday morning in Washington, D.C. The sun is up. We're up. Everything is good. Well, except for coronavirus, everything is great. I've been in now for about five weeks, given that I'm African-American, 72 years old, with diabetes and hypertension. If I catch it, high chance I won't be around very long. So I've been taking a lot of precautions. And how are you doing? Today, we have an SBA specialist that's going to talk to us about the Corona's Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Program, Mr. David Hinkapi. Good morning, David. Good morning. And how are you today? Uh, I'm fine. Uh, so I've got nothing to complain about. Good news. Good news. So you were on about a year ago, and your job title... You're economic development specialist. Yes, I'm I'm one of a few in the Washington Metropolitan Area District Office. So what do you do? And, I- and so uh, our job is primarily connecting with the community, with business owners, and with different organizations that help foster and develop small and micro business. Um, that's the mission of the SBA is to help people start and grow small businesses. So we work with the small business development centers, with the women's business centers, the veterans business outreach centers, the SCORE mentors. That's another organization. All four of those are partially funded by the SBA. So we call them our resource partners. And then any others, you know, there are different uh, micro lenders and other organizations that are out there. Latino Economic Development Center, WACIF, Washington Area Community Investment Fund, um, other lenders um, who specialize in SBA lending um, or SBA lending programs for small businesses. So we're just out there talking and educating and trying to to help people with their small businesses and, and get them growing and get them started and then get them growing. So when you're on about a year ago, you were talking about reaching co-op businesses and how SBA could help them. Are you still doing that? Yes, but uh, now we're mostly talking to uh, co-ops uh, regarding the different SBA lending programs that are kind of disaster emergency relief because of uh, the pandemic. So, yeah, we're still talking to them. And uh, I had a bunch of plans for what I was going to do about uh, working with co-ops and with other forms of worker or employee ownership, uh, which, of course, you know, got set aside and put on hold um, as soon as the scope and uh, magnitude of this pandemic uh, became clear. We knew we were going to be talking about other stuff. Okay, so let's go into it. What are you doing now with this coronavirus? Well, right now there are primarily two loan programs that, uh, say, cooperatives can access 
to help them um, if they suffered some sort of economic injury is what we call it. I mean, economic injury essentially means a catastrophic loss of revenue, right? Whatever sales you had, if they have been reduced immensely because of the co-op, because of the pandemic and, you know, people, customers aren't buying from you, whatever it is you sell and your people have to stay home because they've been ordered to stay home, different levels of government, then you're going to suffer a, a, a very catastrophic loss in revenue. And this means that you can't pay your fixed debts and your obligations, your rent and your lease or mortgage, your accounts payable, your notes payable, et cetera. So we have a couple of loan programs that can help co-ops with that. And what are those two loan programs? The first uh, one is the Economic Injury Disaster Loan, uh, EIDL, Economic Injury Disaster Loan. And that's the older of the two programs uh, that has been in existence for, I think, at least 15 years in its present form. <clears throat> We don't know much about it here in the DMV because it's usually been used by places where people have physical disasters as well. Natural disasters like uh, floods and tornadoes and uh, hurricanes, things like that. Nothing like that really happens around here. So people aren't aware of the so program. Folks but that Folks that were affected by Katrina or Sandy or all of those, exactly. that's what they used. Okay. Yeah, they okay. would have used this and probably one of the other programs, disaster programs as well, because there are physical disaster loan programs for for physical damages to your business, to the property, to your operations, to whatever. Uh, but then there's the economic injury, and that's what I mean by the loss of revenue. Economic injury means you have lost so much revenue because of either the physical disaster, meaning there was a hurricane that blew everything away, or in this case, the disaster of the pandemic, keeping everybody home from coming into your place of business and buying from you, right? Or forcing you to tell your employees to stay home. Right. So this program has been um, nearly overwhelmed. It's still operating. It's just that we've had more than uh, a few million applications since March 20th. We're processing them as fast as we can. So uh, the way this works is uh, any small business, including co cooperative of any kind, is eligible to apply for this loan program. And the initial loan amount is going to be $15,000 and up to $10,000 of that. If they have employees, up to $10,000 of it, it will come in the form of an advance. So there will be an advance of $1,000 for every full-time or part-time employee, up to $10,000. That's the maximum possible. And so if you got, so that if you got six, cool. if you have six employees, one thousand dollars, you can get six thousand, six thousand dollars in advance. Okay, yeah. and okay. that's entirely forgiven. So in other words, you don't have to pay that back out of the fifteen thousand that you get in the initial loan amount. We've had to reduce the initial loan amount just because there's so many people applying. So the SBA leadership had to make a decision: either we would give the expected loan amounts. I'll explain what that means to everybody according to when they applied. In other words, who got in line first. And that means there were going to be a lot of people who got nothing because the money ran out. Or we just say, well, we're going to reduce the amount that we're going to lend people. And so that way everybody gets something. And that's the decision they made. So that's why it's only $15,000 now, because we know some businesses are going to need more. But that will be the initial amount. Then we'll loan more as we get more money. 
the interest rate is pretty small. It's 3.75% for small businesses. And the terms are pretty generous. It's up to 30 years. So it could be a 20, depending on the, on the circumstances of your business, it could be 25 years, 27 or 30 years, right? And you don't have to do the first payment. You have to make the first payment for the first 12 months. So after you get the loan, you don't have a payment for 12 months, but it is a loan, right? It doesn't get forgiven, except for that initial advance, like I said, that you don't have to pay back. Okay, so let me get this. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to go get a loan now because I've had a major loss of income, uh, mm-hmm. I had to close my doors of, I have a restaurant, I have a jewelry store, I have something. So yeah. I laid off all these people, all of these employees, they're gone, and I have this major loss of income. So I do an application. I can get up to 15000 initial loan. And if I push a button on this application... Yeah, there's a checkbox for the advance. I can get an advance for $1,000 per employee up to a max mm-hmm. of 10000 and that comes automatically, and that does not have to be paid back. Exactly. So maybe I only have to pay back 5000 of the initial $15,000. Right, if you have 10 employees, yeah. If you have 10 employees and, and, and major loss. Right. And we're trying to we're trying to get the advance out to people in seven to 10 business days. But, you know, it's just the number of people. It's just it's been overwhelming. I I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It's just been a tsunami because normally these disaster loans will happen. Like I said, you you have a county that's affected by a hurricane or a tornado, and then you have the counties surrounding it that might be affected as well. So we might get a national application. Yeah. Yeah, this is national. Right. A typical surge might be like 10,000 applications, but we have millions now. And so we're working through it. We're working through the, the, there's a bottleneck there in the applications. And because this is a direct loan from the SBA, you apply for it on our website and the application is easy to find. It's just disasterloan.sba.gov, right? Disasterloan.sba.gov. And don't even put the www in front. Just disasterloan.sba.gov. That's where you can go and apply for this loan. So that's uh, if I can spell disaster right. That's easy. Disasterloan.sba.gov. It comes up. Okay. And then you can apply for that. It's it's, it's a loan from the SBA. So the SBA is making this loan. You have to you don't have to go to a bank. Exactly. Okay. So I really applaud SBA for making that rule that the max of 15000 initial loan so that more and more people can get it because too often the larger companies that have the administration would file for this, they would suck up the money and the smaller companies would not get any. Or if you will, the African-American, black and brown people would not get any marginalized because they might be too busy closing up and trying to take care of each other, and they don't fill out these forms. They haven't filled out these forms. So, okay, I'm glad you made that decision. When will you come back and decide if somebody will get more than $15,000? Well, um, here's the little complication. So the original way we used to do these is uh, you apply for the loan, and we're going to get financial information for the 12 months before the disaster, right? Obviously, we're not going to 
base alone amount on your cash flow now because you're in the middle of a disaster. You don't have revenues or you have very little revenue. So we're going to look at the 12 months before the disaster, whether that's the calendar year or in this case, before the 12 months that ended on February 15. So from February 15 last year until February 15 this year, we'll use either one of those 12 months period. And the way we would do it is look at it and look at what your gross sales were, look at what your cost of goods sold were, what your expenses and costs were, and say, okay, you need this much working capital to pay your fixed costs, right? To pay your rent, to pay your accounts payable, to pay your payroll. This is an old program, so this is for payroll as well, and et cetera. And you need this much money for six months. And so that's how we were going to do it originally and how we started doing it. And then all of a sudden we got overwhelmed and we realized (laughs) we're going to run out of money. We're only going to be able to do loans for six months of working capital for a tiny number of people So that's why instead we're just going to do 15,000 now, and then we're going to do the rest of the loan later, a a larger amount later. How much later right now? I don't know. Uh, If you're, if you're looking at the news, you know that the administration is working with the Congress and they're trying to get more money and everything. And David, David, we got to take our first break. So I'm sorry to cut you off because I'm really intrigued with this, but we're going to take our first break. And we've talked about the first of these two, the economic injury disaster loan and we'll be right back and talk about a little bit about this one and the next one we'll be right back don't touch that dial Information is power. This is Vernon Oaks. The program is Everything Cooperative, and we have David Hincapie uh, on with us today, Economic Development Specialist with the Small Business Administration, talking about the coronavirus and the aid that Congress passed to help small businesses and help everyday people who have lost their jobs. David, we're talking about the economic injury disaster loans. And from Mm -hmm. what I got before we left was you can get up to $15,000. You have millions and millions of people applying. So you you limit the amount of the initial loan. The loan can be up to 30 years, 3.75% interest. And if you push a button on that application, you can get an immediate amount of money that's $1,000 per employee, up to 10 employees. So you can get up to $10,000 immediately, and that becomes a grant. So you don't have to pay that part back. But the 5000 if you got a 15000 loan, you'd have to pay back. And so right before we took break, I was asking you, when would you decide if people can get more than 15000 And I think you said, you don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it, it depends. <laughs> right. Right. Um, there's a lot of people looking for help and we want to help everybody. But, but it, it, you know, the, the, you know, we had an appropriation and there's money for the disaster loan program and they made a prediction. All right. This is what we're going to need. But you can't see a virus coming. Right. So so this happened. And now now they're trying to get more money into that pot for the EIDL and, you know, the senior SBA leadership and is working 
talking to the administration and the Treasury Secretary and talking to the Congress and trying to get more. So as soon as that happens, then then we'll be able to increase the amount of the loan to what we originally intended. So the way we used to do it when we were only doing, you know, 15,000 of these at a time instead of doing millions of them. So, yeah, that's the that's the EIDL program. The other big one. Well, before you go on to that one, who can apply? What I know co-ops can apply, and that's a hallelujah, because they have not always been able to get SBA assistance. So uh, co-ops can get this. But who who all can get this loan? Oh, uh, this loan is for any small business. And for the vast majority of businesses, that means under 500 employees, because we have SBA size standards. And there's a whole table, and you can, that's easy to find too. That's uh, www.sba.gov forward slash size. And you can just get an Excel table that has the size standards. But I'll tell you right now, most people, you don't have to worry about that because there's another size standard that instead of according to employees, it goes according to uh, revenue, right? But, but the vast majority of small businesses is under 500 employees, and you'll be fine. And so small business can apply for that. Any kind of co op counts. Uh, also, self-employed sole proprietors and 1099 independent contractors can apply for this themselves and private nonprofit organizations, regardless of their size. They don't have to be small. So any private nonprofit organization, including religious organizations, that was a recent change made by the SBA administration and the, with, with the Congress regarding this because it used to exclude religious organizations. So now even religious organizations qualify. Let me explain what I mean by private nonprofit. This means anything that's not a government nonprofit. And a government nonprofit would be something like a city hospital or a, a, a city university or a state college or something like that. That's a nonprofit, but it's from the government. So we're talking about private nonprofit organizations. Uh, they can apply for these. So churches, mosques, synagogues, they can all apply? Yes. Wow. Okay. The, the pastors know this? How do they get this word out? <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. So that means that not only is this nationwide, you just open it up to more people can apply. So right. you get the tsunami of millions and millions of applications. I'm surprised your computer system hasn't fallen down somewhere. Oh, it has. <laughs> but they keep okay. doing it. So our, our IT people are working overtime, you know. They're 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 doing a lot of work because our application system is totally different now from what it was three weeks ago. The old system just crashed. So we came up with a workaround for and that lasted a week. And then starting last week, so it's been it's been going for nine days now or, or ten days now, uh, is this new streamlined system which is even faster and more secure. Because it just it wasn't designed to handle the volume that it received. Yeah, if you're used to 15,000 and now you got several million, I got it. Yeah. That's easy to see. Okay, so this is the economic injury disaster loan. These are loans. Max right now to 15,000, you're calling it initial loan until you can mm -hmm. get more money and maybe raise the amount, depending. And then for small businesses, under 500 employees pretty much captures it. And you can. Uh, and and I want to I want to be sure to underline the first payment is not due for 12 months. So let's say you get the loan in, in May, because it's going to take about 30 days for a loan decision because we're so backed up. So you get the loan dispersed to you in May. You won't have to make the first payment until May of next year. So that's important. 
I want people to understand that because they're taking on an obligation and they might be worried, well, what if I don't open up and I'm not making any money? I'm going to be obligated to make this payment. No, you won't have to make a payment for a year. All right. Can you get the banks to give me a mortgage with these terms? Wouldn't we all love that? (laughs) Okay. Or a car note or buy a computer with, you don't have to pay it back for a year. Okay. Mm. Um, This is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, If you can process them in some kind of, Okay, if you get that hurdle, that's the bottleneck right now. All right, let's go to the next one now, which is the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, In these loans, it includes payroll, but you have a special program for Paycheck Protection Program. What's that one about? Yeah, that's the one that got passed with the CARES Act um, that uh, was in the news um, just about a week ago, about 10 days ago. And um, or not even 10 days, it feels like more. So if this one is it's a massive bill. It's 800 pages, but I'm, I'm only reading the parts that have to do with the SBA and, and business loans. Uh, and so there's a program called the Paycheck Protection Program, and it is uh, a loan program. Uh, SBA guaranteed loan program, meaning it's not a direct loan from the SBA. You get the loan through a bank, and I'll get into those details in a minute. And it's designed to help you pay payroll if you have employees, even if those employees have to stay home, right? It, it's designed, you know, if you got to stay home because your business, because the government, whether it's the city government or the state or the federal, well, the federal government hasn't done that. But in a lot of states, for example, in Maryland, and I know in Virginia, they're shutting down certain kinds of businesses uh, or telling them to close down or limiting, severely limiting their operations or, or hours are allowed to be open. So the business owners aren't making any money and they can't afford to keep their people on payroll. Well, to avoid people getting laid off and then going to unemployment benefits, uh, we have this paycheck protection program so you can pay them even if they have to stay at home. But there is a longer term purpose to it, which is if you have to lay people off and then this goes on for a couple of months, they they may have to go do something else to earn a living somehow. Right. I don't know how they would do it, but they may leave. And then when you suddenly have to reopen your operations, now you've got to rehire or either try to rehire Retrain. you can or hire new people and train them. And that's going to slow down the recovery. So the whole point is here. No, nah, you use the paycheck protection program to keep them on your payroll, pay them, even if they have to be at home or if they're only working limited hours. But you can pay them most of their regular salary or wage even if it's not 100%. And then when we reopen, the whole country does, then you could just bring them back. Done, right? So mm-hmm. I'll explain uh, how it works. So these are through the banks that are currently SBA lenders, meaning they do SBA 7A loans, right? And you can go to them, and most banks that are mid and large-sized are SBA lenders. A lot of community banks are not. And a lot of federal credit unions are not. But you can find out if you haven't already from your bank or credit union if if you're with a smaller one, if they are an SBA lender. If they are, they can do this program. The banks are now overwhelmed. And so you've probably heard in the news or read in the news that, you know, Wells Fargo is overwhelmed and Bank of America and J.P. Morgan Chase. And, yeah, they're all overwhelmed just like we were. So it's slow. Right. They're taking some of them have applications online. Some of them don't. Some of them are just taking your information and putting you in a queue. And they're just, you know, we're just going one by one. When we get to you, we're going to process this for your for you. It's a 100 percent loan guarantee from the SBA. So that means the lenders don't have they don't have any risk. Right. If the borrower defaults then we're just going to pay the bank. 
So we're also adding new lenders. So we have more mm-hmm. financial institutions who can do these loans. And this would be really great if for a business owner who's banking with a bank that is not an SBA lender, they can get into this program and then that way you can get the loan for yourself. So who's eligible? It's the same, almost the same thing. It's small businesses, nonprofits of any size, including religious organizations, veterans organizations, tribal concerns, tribal businesses, effective tomorrow, sole proprietors and self-employed persons uh, who work as independent contractors are also eligible to apply. Um, Same standards for small business. This loan amount is different. Go on. David, we've got to take our second break. Thank you very much. You catch it. It goes very quickly. We've got a half an hour left. We'll be right back, everybody. Please don't touch the dial, and we're going to come back and talk about how you how you apply. How do you what are you steps you have to take uh, for both of these different programs? We'll be right back. This is Vernon Oaks. This program is being brought to you by National Cooperative Bank. And they you can go online and they can process the PPP. Um, it's on their webpage, ncb.coop. Uh, National Co-op Bank was formed in the mid-'80s to help co-ops to foster and improve with all co-ops and their members, especially in low-income communities. And we're going to talk about low-income communities in a little bit, David. David Hinkapi is our guest today. David, you were talking about PPP and who qualifies when we start. We took our first break. And it sounds like pretty much the same people. Yeah, it's a, it's pretty much the same people. The information is, uh, is also there in the uh, on our website, and that one's pretty easy to find as well. You just go to sba.gov forward slash PPP, and right there there's a page that tells you all the good stuff you need to know about it. So, yeah, I was I was uh, talking about who qualifies and is about to tell you about the terms of it, right? And uh, so what's the percentage amount and everything like that. Now, because this is for payroll, this loan is uh, different. It's the um, the maximum possible amount is $10 million, and it's two months of your average monthly payroll costs plus an additional 25%. So 2.25% or 2.25 times your monthly payroll cost. And we're going to base that, again, we're not going to base it on your payroll costs now because maybe now your payroll costs are lower because you had to lay off some people. We're going to base it on the 12 months of or either of the calendar year 2019 or the 12 months up to February 15, 2020, you know, whichever is more appropriate for your business. Uh, now, this has a special provision in it. If you use at least uh, 75% of the money for payroll or payroll costs, then the loan is completely forgiven. 
So you use the money for payroll to keep people on the payroll or payroll costs. And that means things like uh, family leave, medical leave, sick leave, um, um, also payroll taxes from states and from counties, but not federal payroll taxes. Those count as payroll <laughs> costs. So if you if you use 75 percent of the PPP loan for payroll or payroll costs, then the loan for the eight weeks after you get the loan, right, once you get the loan, once the loan is approved for those eight weeks, if you keep the payroll the same, right, don't lay off anyone, don't fire anyone, um, then the loan is completely forgiven. You don't have to pay it back, right? This loan is designed to help you cover payroll and payroll costs while people either have to stay home or while they have reduced hours. Now, you can use it for interest on mortgage. You can use it for rent. You can use it for utilities. As long as you don't use more than 25% of the money for that, you will get the loan forgiven. So there's no collateral required. There's no personal guarantee needed. It's a two-year term for the loan. And the first payment is deferred for six months. You don't have to make a payment for the first six months. Okay. So this is all done with the anticipation that this coronavirus will be over in two months. You talk about the eight weeks. It's the eight weeks of this that you're right. paying back people yeah. back. All right. For loans. Or not that it's done. We're not going to have a we're not going to have a vaccine, but at least that maybe we can stop some of the social distancing and maybe business can go a little bit back to normal. So this will help you in this extreme situation right now where, you know, you're walking around at, at, at 830 in the morning in the city and it's like a ghost town. <laughs> right. That's what this is dealing with right now. At noon in the afternoon, too. Yeah. Noon in the afternoon. Yeah. Economic Injury Disaster Loans and Paycheck Protection Program, you can apply for both? Yes, you qualify for both. So here's one way to, to think about using them together, right? And, and you're going to have to do a little bit of arithmetic on your business, right, of how best to use this. So you apply for the IDL. Let's say you get the IDL. You got the 15000 Then you apply for the PPP. You're going to get that money. How long it's going to take, I can't say because, as I said, the, the banks are so overwhelmed. Now, here's a way to think about it. I'm not saying everybody has to do this, but here's one way to think about it. The EIDL might not be enough to cover your rent and utilities and stuff, right? It may, may be, it will be, maybe it won't be. But if it's not, you could use some of the PPP to pay that. But remember, you don't want to go over 25% because you want the full forgiveness. So you don't have to use the PPP to pay everybody's full normal salary or wage. Say you had somebody working for you 30 hours a week, right? And whatever you were paying them on average, those 30 hours a week, you don't have to pay them the full that thing. Maybe you can reduce the salary down to 90% of what they got on average or maybe 85%. And then that means you have a little bit left over that you can use for interest on mortgage, interest on or rather rent or the lease or utilities or other things. And that way you don't go over the 25 percent threshold. So I'm sure your employees would rather have 85 percent of their normal wage, weekly wage, than they would uh, just to be unemployed and go on unemployment benefits because this will be more. Right. So that's a way for you to think about how to use the two programs together and still get the full forgiveness of the PPP uh, loan. 
Okay, so there are the two loans to help out. The the glitch right now is processing them, but getting the application yes. in and processing them. Before this came about, you were working with co-ops. What did you find out in your working with co-op businesses? What kinds of things did you learn about co-op businesses? And I'm trying to get to the the benefits of a co-op. Well, I mean, it's a different, it's a completely different atmosphere when you're in a co-op business. You could be at a regular non-cooperative uh, business and you could have a very uh, collegial atmosphere. You know, lots of businesses like to talk about being uh, team and oriented and, and mm-hmm. we value our people and everything like that. But the reality is that it's often just words that people say they're not really living. So in a co-op business, people are usually really living it. You know, you're you're all in it together, and and it and it's true. When you're working for a corporation with two thousand employees, and the CEO says we're all in this together, nobody believes it. <laughs> but mm-hmm. but when you're in a co-op, you know you can believe it. We are truly all in it together. If they say that, and so you know that's what I found. I found that that people are much more connected to each other than they are in other businesses. And for that one reason alone, there's other reasons, but co-ops have a tendency to stay in the business and be successful a lot longer than a normal capitalistic business. As a matter of fact, uh, Jessica Gordon-Nimhart in her book, Collective Carriage, said that 90% of co-op businesses are still in existence after five years, where only 10% of your normal capitalistic business are still in business after five years. And that's one of the reasons this this working together, solving problems together, pooling resources, skills and dollars and time. And so people are much more engaged and the communities engage in that. Okay, so that that happens. And so I'm wondering, I know Red Emma's in Baltimore Worker Cooperative uh, was having difficulty. I would imagine there's a huge 1500 unit uh, worker cooperative in New York that's um, home health care folks, and I wonder what they're going to do with this because there are 1,500 people. But the other thing that most co-ops end up not being able to get a mortgage is because they're owned by, if there's 10 people, it's owned by the 10 people, and a lot of times these folks don't have a lot of collateral. So I did hear you mm-hmm. say in the PPP you don't need collateral, but how do you get, who signs for it or who, how do you get, that part of it done because it's not one person well, that owns it. It's 10 people. In the, in the case of the co-op, well, in the case of any business organization, there are going to be people who in whatever bylaws or articles of a corporation or any, whatever rules set out the, the organization structure and who does what and who can do what, uh, it's going to say that there's some people there are authorized to act as agents for the for the organization, right? To contract for the mm-hmm. organization to sign things. So whoever that is, that's going to be the person. Now, if this co-op has been around for a little while, they probably have a banking relationship with someone, and the bank will know them. So they're going to because the PPP is done through lenders, and we guarantee the loan uh, for the lenders, then they're going to sort out that application themselves. Now the application is not it's not optimally designed for cooperative business structures, but you just do the best you can with it, and it might ask for certain people, you know, who the owners are and like that. And so, just put it 
the names of whoever, whatever people you have in some sort of executive or managerial position. But because, like I said, this is through the bank. And so your bank knows you, you know, or they ought to. There ought to be somebody there that you have a relationship with at the bank to help you get through this. As for the EIDL, the co-op uh, can apply for the EIDL. And in our application, it's not updated. It doesn't have a sec. It doesn't change its form for co-ops. So you can list up to five owners. But what you should do then is just list five people who will whose name will go on there. It'll be obvious that it's a cooperative uh, in the application. And when when you get in touch with uh, one of the loan officers, you're going to be talking about that as well. Okay, so those five people could be, if there's a five-member board, it could be those boards, or it could be the general manager or the yeah. vice president or whoever is the management. Okay, or it could be the officers of the board. Okay, so yeah. there's a way for the co-op to do that. Hmm. Now, the 1,500-unit um, home health care, would it be considered, because if you have a 500 limit employees, that they're not, they wouldn't qualify? So this is a curious um, it's this is bringing up something that that a lot of us knew existed as a a wrinkle in the laws regarding co-ops and the SBA and everything because if you have a 1500 member worker cooperative you got 1500 worker owners one person one share one vote okay mm-hmm. so they're not employees so by the SBA definition it's because it's a little complicated, right? By the SBA definition, this is a small business because they don't have five. They may have employees. Maybe the 1,500-member co-op has some sort of administrative staff to help support the work, the administrative operations, you know, of, of such a large worker co-op, right? So maybe they got a staff of 20. I don't know, whatever they might have. And mm-hmm. these are administrative assistants, maybe a bookkeeper, maybe an accountant. I don't know, something like that. Okay, and. Yeah then they're they're a small business because those are employees. Those are W-2 employees. But if this work is already is is being all done by the members themselves, if they're if they're distributing the work amongst themselves, as I know, in worker co-ops, people have to you know work in the business as well. So, again, then they don't have any employees. Yes. Then they're a small business and they qualify. They qualify for this. Now, here's the thing, though, because let's say if we're talking about a worker co-op, because a worker co-op that doesn't have W-2 employees, well, let's say a worker co-op like this one, if it does not have W-2 employees, then it's not eligible for the PPP. It doesn't have employees. But it is eligible for the EIDL. Got it. Because that you can, you, you, anybody can apply. Well, not anybody. Small businesses, independent contractors, sole proprietors, people who don't have employees, they can apply for it. So this is what I mean they, about the little wrinkle. Yeah. I got it. David, you understand it. I hope other SBA people understand it. And we're going to take our final break. (laughs) We're going to take our final break. Okay. And we'll be right back. talk station information is power 
Our guest today is David Hincapie, who's with the Small Business Administration. David, I want to open up the conversation a little bit wider here. If you're probably listening to the news, know that African Americans, black folk, are dying at a higher percentage. They're catching this virus and dying at a higher percentage rate than whites or other people. And my sense of it is it's because of the social economics of being 400 years in America with the wealth gap. The average for a white family is 175000 for a black family is 17000 in 2018. So whites have 10 times more wealth so they can afford education. They can afford going to doctors. They can uh, they have less stress. They can afford a home. They can afford all of these things that cause them to live a better quality of life. And to some places, David, like Cincinnati, uh, Cleveland and Pittsburgh, that if you live inner city, you can expect to live 20 years less than a white, particular men. A white man outside in the suburbs could live 20 years, is expected to live 20 years more, longer than a black man in the, in the inner city. And that's all through the history of this has been just the way the government has put in the GI Bill and made it okay for some people to get and not other people, redlining, all of these different things. So my question is, with all of this history, what is SBA doing? I mean, when you talk about affirmative action, it was to try to help blacks who have had this 400 years of social economics dumped on. And in some cases, like in Black Wall Street and Tulsa, the folks just came and massacred people and took away that wealth. And in 2007, with the down crash, blacks lost wealth. A lot of people lost wealth. Blacks just lost two times more wealth than, on average, than whites. So what can SBA do, uh, or do you have anything in the sort of help marginalized people, marginalized businesses, so that we don't lose more wealth than other folk? Have you all had that conversation? Well, there, there are a couple of programs that um, that have attempted to address this. Uh, you know, the women's business centers were created in 1988. They actually serve anyone who goes into them, but they were created with that, uh, with that intention of having a business, uh, something like a small business development center where women could go and they could, uh, they could get the same sort of business assistance in a, in a, in a different environment, you might say. Right. Mm -hmm. So the women's business Mm -hmm. centers exist for this there. You know, we wish there were more money for more of them, but you know, that's a question of, uh, of, of appropriations and things from, from Congress, right? We, we do what, what we can with the money that they give us. And well, you know, we all know, go to house.gov and we can all get the phone number of our local representative and, uh, Use the example of who I think Red Emma is named after. I assume it's named after Emma Goldman. So there's your example of how to get the Congress to give you more. So the the women's business centers were established through legislation from Congress. They gave us some money so we can establish these in 1988. They exist. We also have the 8A uh, federal contracting program. It's not for businesses generally. It's for businesses that are interested in becoming federal contractors. And this is for socially or economically disadvantaged business owners. So that, of course, then includes black folk, that includes white, poor white folk, that includes women, uh, 
right? Anybody who has been socially, economically disadvantaged, disadvantaged in some way, and they have a small business and they would like to use federal contracting to grow the business, then they can apply for the 8A program. And it's a business development program that's designed to help the business owner become a better business owner, right? Become mm-hmm. more professional, learn more, uh, increase their business acumen while using federal contracting to help grow the business. Uh, those, are, you know, and then we also have the Office of Women's Business Ownership. So that's another one. And they have the, pro- they're the ones who are paying attention to the, you know, the uh, women's business centers. So these are the programs that primarily the SBA uses. We connect a lot, too, with the hub zones. And the hub zones are the historically underutilized business zones. Uh, this was started, actually, if I remember correctly, it was a senator from Arkansas in, some, in a very rural, poor area of Arkansas. And that was poor people of all colors. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, there, there was um, there's that program to help businesses increase their federal contracting and access to, to contracts so that you can create more wealth in socially and economically disadvantaged communities or among those groups of people by building companies that hire people. They have uh, more wealth as business owners, which then gets passed on to the generations, which hopefully slowly begins to improve things for um, black folk, women, everybody else who's been disadvantaged in some way. takes a long time. Uh, We wish it were faster, but you know, this is what this is what we have in this agency, right? These are the tools we mm-hmm. have at our disposal. Well, growing up in West Virginia, I realized at a very young age that poverty did not discriminate by race or anything, gender or anything else, because we were on the hill I grew up on. We were all poor. <laughs> it was making yeah. a difference. Yeah, and folks <clears throat> had limited power and limited opportunities uh, because of that. I was just wondering, and I think I have my answer, but I'll ask a question anyway. Is there anything in these two programs, the Paycheck Protection Program and the Disaster Program, the EIDL program, that SBA is looking out to help women or minority-owned businesses to make sure that that a percentage of that money is allocated to these businesses? Well, there's no, there's nothing specifically saying, look, we're going to look for, for, we're going to do this or we're going to have this percentage or whatever for specifically women owned or minority owned businesses. It's just that it's open to all business owners. It's open to all, all small business owners. And as, as we mentioned, you know, some nonprofits as well, church organizations, religious organizations. So that's it. It's just, it's wide open to small business owners. Everybody's eligible to apply for it as long as you meet those those um, those standards, right? It's a small business, and we're trying to make it so that there's enough money for everybody. And that's why, as I mentioned earlier in the beginning of the hour, there was right. the modification to the EIDL. It was either get give money to the you know lend money to the people who got in line first only, and everybody else gets nothing. Or we try to spread it around and everybody else gets a little something. That's what our leadership decided to do, the second option. And we're just working on getting more so that we can increase the amount of the loan to everybody. But there's nothing specific, like you said. It's just that it's open to all business owners. If you're a business owner, no matter who you are, 
come apply for these programs. Hurry up and apply. Now, have, have you been in any conversations? You talked a little bit about this, about what happens after this pandemic. I mean, this pandemic is hitting us hard, closed a lot of businesses. Folks are staying home, flattening out the curve. Hopefully there will be less than 1.5 million deaths. Get it down to 100,000 or less deaths in the, in the U.S. So if that works, what happens after when we come back? I know this team spirit of co-ops we sort of sort of call for there being more co-ops, but have you all talked about this at all about looking f- after? Uh, no, uh, at my level, I work in the field office or also known as the district office here in the, in the Washington metropolitan area. So that's the five counties surrounding the district of Columbia. These are two counties in, in Maryland and three in Virginia. So at my level, no, I'm not, I'm not part of that. I'm out here in the field office. I work with the business owners. I talk with lenders. I work with other nonprofit organizations that want to foster and help develop small business. So at the policy level, I don't know. That's uh, something uh, about five pay grades above me. (laughs) Okay. Well, next year. (laughs) Okay. Dave, it's a pleasure. We only have a couple minutes left. So what would you like to leave people with? What message Um, would you like to leave people with? Don't waste time. Don't uh, try to figure out what about this, what about this, what about this, because I keep getting these emails and phone calls, and I answer every one of them. But the most important thing is go get on the SBA website, apply for the EIDL, don't waste any time. Now, before you do that, be sure you get your paperwork in order as if you were going for a loan. So if you have your tax records you know, get them all in order, put them in a manila folder. If you don't already have this, right? You should already have mm-hmm. this. Now I'm wagging my finger at you. All right. You should already have this if you're a business owner, but if you don't get those papers out, organize them, put them in a folder, get them ready because this is, this is a loan, right? The, the EIDL is a direct loan from the SBA. The other one is a loan through the bank that's guaranteed by the SBA. And as you know, when it comes to business and loans, paperwork, proof, documentation that's what matters so get that stuff ready and then don't waste time go apply david thank you so very much and go to our resource partners go to the sbdc go to the wbc go to score uh go to the veteran business outreach center and talk to them about getting advice on how to manage your cash flow through this you probably won't get one-on-one person advice now because they're overwhelmed too but i know that they're doing webinars david we gotta go okay and i just want to thank you right now for taking the time i know you're very very busy so thank you very much for taking the time and coming and sharing with us this morning everybody out there please live cooperatively and be safe please be safe news talk station